0: I'm joined today by regular guest Tom Castley. Tom, as you know, is the VP of AMIA for outreach.io. Tom, you're very welcome back. Thank you for having me again.
1: Yes, looking forward to
0: it. So today, Tom, I want to talk to you about coaching high performance teams. And this is one of these perennial topics that is 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 deemed and held up as so so important but yet when you look at the practice of it it's, it's, it never seems to quite live up to the hype and, and I want to get your take on it so maybe we could just start off with uh, talk about first of all about coaching in the context of training like if training is so good
1: so effective why do we even need coaching Oh, I I wonder if I can do what I typically do, which is take it one step further back than that in the first instance, which is actually make sure you hire people who are coachable. Um, And um, I'm possibly going to shoot myself in the foot for any candidates that I'm interviewing uh, coming up because now they'll know kind of the the secret sauce to it. But um, one of the questions that we use during interview to identify that Because if somebody's not coachable, it doesn't matter how many times you train them, um, you're not going to see a a good return on that. So one of the ones I do is um, I say, um, okay, uh, actually, uh, I took inspiration from you a number of years ago. You know when you say, if you asked our customers what we did, what would they say? And it gets you to talk about it in that terminology. So I, I will say to a candidate, if you asked our customers what we did, what do you think they would say? And I get a response from them. Uh, and what I'm trying to do is not have them read off stats off our website, for example, so it becomes in their own words, right? Um, now that obviously tests their ability to tell a story without using buzzwords and all of the rest of it. Uh, it doesn't matter how well they do. My response will be, that's probably one of the worst. Examples that I've been given. Do that deliberately uh, because I want to put them under pressure to see how they cope with pressure. Do they freeze, flight, you know, fear, freeze, fight or flight? You know, the, the oh. typical response. And then I say, let me give you my response. So if you asked our customers what we did, this is what they would say. Bam, 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 bam. Go through it. And I say, take a breath. Have another go. Now they're under pressure so obviously if they you know if they, if they falter at that point then I then I've got indicators to another uh, capability but one of three things normally happens to that either they just do exactly the same as they've done before or they go off and they try another version which still doesn't relate to what I've just told them so they try and be clever or what they do is they have a good go at kind of regurgitating what I've just provided them And the response that we're looking for is them having a good go at regurgitating the response that we've just given them. What that tells me is under pressure, they're able to listen, understand, and change their approach. It's a very good indicator to their coachability. So first and foremost, before you start it, you need to have people who are coachable. Yeah,
0: I love that approach, by the way. I think it's genius. It really is. And you don't have to worry about giving secrets away because... If somebody's not coachable, they're probably not ever going to listen to a podcast like this.
1: <laughs> Indeed, yeah, that's, that's true as well. Yeah, how do they invest in yeah. themselves? So more to your point then on on training. And, um, uh, and the, uh, again, some of this, you know, you and I have known each other for donkey's years. So some of this actually comes from you, um, which is, uh, I like that, that Sandler ideology around kind of, I understand it. Uh, I know it. I use it. I live it, which is, you know, training can kind of do the first two. I understand it and I know it. Normally, I understand it as the first training. Reinforcement training is I know it. And then they need to cross the chasm to using it. And then they need to cross the next chasm, which is they don't think about it anymore. It's just unconsciously part of their approach. So, you know, if training is the first two, coaching is the second two. Uh, and if they're not used together, uh, you get very limited kind of results. Uh, you know, coaching somebody without having some new material or something they've been trained on just is reinforcing processes or skills that they've already got. Mm.
0: Yeah. And, and why the need, though, to constantly reinforce something? They, you, you're hiring smart people, they know it. Can they not just go off and implement it themselves? Why, why, why the coaching element? What are you trying to really, really get to, get into with, with, with coaching? Uh,
1: well, you know, folks are, are pretty good. One is they've developed habits over many years. Uh, two is uh, when you give somebody something new, Uh, The moment it doesn't go right or to plan is the moment that they revert. So without reinforcement and continual coaching, uh, you don't give them the conviction and the structure uh, to change something into becoming a habit. It is that, uh, you know, it says that period of time from going, I use it to "I, I live it. I live it means it's in the core of your being. You just can't understand somebody doing it any other way. Um, and that does require, uh, yeah, this – you know, constant communication uh, and, and and constant analysis of what's working, what's not working. And, so, an element of what you're, you're saying is
0: that – an element of it is catching people before they regress. Yes. If they run into a, some sort of a failure or resistance negative experience. Okay, good. Yeah. Uh, Talk to me then about the element of coaching that speaks to helping people identify their blind spots, things they're not even aware of in the first place. Maybe if you had an example of that as well in your own experience.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, a a typical blind spot for most salespeople is, uh, is they'll try and skip parts of the sales process in the hope that it doesn't come up. You know, uh, you know, normal ones for that are security reviews involving other people in the opportunity, legal and, you know, and just assuming that they'll never do red lines on an agreement, assuming that IT will be just totally OK with the change that they're looking for the business to implement. Um, those are, uh, you know, a, a common coaching element for me, especially as, as salespeople go from more SMB up into corporate and enterprise kind of roles, because that those things happen more often than not. Oh. And so, you know, coaching in those examples is, is having them come to terms with uh, the fact that actually they should raise it on their terms, not on, on the prospect's terms. In other words, earlier on in the process, when it's not going to suddenly impact a close date and then they get under pressure, or it's not going to require them to suddenly have to, um, the negative consequence of, well, to get through this now, we now have to come up with some kind of commercial offer that de risks it for the customer to the point at which they're willing to take a punt. Um, which, by the way, an enterprise still ends up with them going through the process, but now you've just given a load of money away <laughs> and not actually avoided going through legal and security anyway. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah.
0: Talk to me then about the, the conditions, the ideal conditions in which coaching conversations take, take place, effective ones take place.
1: Yeah, so uh, I, for me, I like uh, situational leadership in, in this area, and I also like, uh, and I'll unpack that a bit in a minute, and I also like uh, the philosophies which come across in Dave Marquette's book, Turn the Ship Around, um so the first one, situational leadership, is a recognition of somebody's skills at uh, a given moment. So somebody who's onboarding, for example, then you're more likely to be slightly more directive rather than coaching. And directive is, you know, go away, do that and come back when you're finished. Uh, and so you're effectively driving the car and they're a passenger in the process. Yeah. The second level, S2, is a bit like when you're learning to drive. So now the rep is in the driver's seat, but I've still got a clutch and a brake and a mirror. And, you know, I I can stop them, you know, crashing. And uh, that in situational leadership is described as let me show you how I would do it. So they're driving, but I'm saying, you know, take the next left, slow down, speed up. Uh, But, you know, they're still controlling most of the process. And then... Um, you then move to what's called S3, which is coaching, which is help them to do it their way. And the skill there uh, is is more the onus is on the leader than on the follower in that instance or on the the sales rep. It's the manager's uh, or the leader's willingness to not impose their will on the salesperson, but to help them by asking great questions. Uh, discover their own solution to the problem or challenge and uh, that takes effort uh, and you have to be more deliberate in that process but the beauty of that is is that done well uh, you don't have to coach somebody on the same situation again and again and again when you're more mentoring like the like the driving instructor you create this parent and child relationship where all they do is they just keep coming back to you and say, how would you deal with this situation? You say, well, I would deal with it like this. And they go, oh, that's brilliant, thanks, off they go, toddle off and do it. And then the next time they come up with a pricing objection, how would you deal with that? Whereas what a good coach would say is, well, what do you think? Uh, what are some of the options you've considered? Ah, huh, interesting. Well, what's the pros and cons of each of those approaches? help me mm-hmm. unpack that um mm-hmm. a good question i like as a coach is always when they come to me with with a with a question is um what, what do you think i'm thinking uh which by the way means i haven't got a clue what the answer is but just by saying what do you think yeah. i'm thinking they're like uh i don't know maybe you're thinking that we should yeah, look yeah. at a multi-year deal huh? yeah, yeah that's a good idea what, what made you come up with that uh, well, if we do a multi-year deal, then we can look at structuring it slightly differently. All right. And, and, and what ways do you think you could think about structuring it? Half of it is just uh, giving them the space to take the requisite amount of time to consider their options. Slow down to speed up.
0: Yeah. What do you think I'm thinking? I love that one. <laughs> yeah, I use it, it also to give you space and time as well. Oh uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Says something. I, I was wondering when you said you talked about in in situational leadership. I think it was S two. Correct me if I'm wrong. Or somebody's coming to you and saying, "How would you do this?" Right? Yeah. And you go, "Here's how I would do it." And you, they go off, and then they come back, and you're creating this kind of learned helplessness. I wonder how much of that is is risk sharing, where they're saying. How would you do it? So if you then say, do it this way and they go off and do it and they say, well, you said do it this way. How, how much of it is yeah, that
1: question? Uh, I guess it, what it obviously is in terms of the rep who's come to ask you about that question, but this is the trap that a lot of inexperienced managers get into. You know, it, uh, you know, uh, the typical promotion path into sales leadership is I'm a great rep. Uh, And now I want to be a leader. And those great reps, uh, unless they're really good, fall into the trap of basically becoming the super salesperson that has a bunch of people who work for them that basically do the admin and get them from one step to the next. And then they turn up and be a superb salesperson. And, you know, those people are making their number. But, you know, if that person was that manager was to leave the business, that team will fall apart. Now uh, I advocate that if you're a great coach, uh, then if I go off on holiday for a couple of weeks, the performance of the team isn't impacted. Yeah. You're giving them uh, the ability to become self-sufficient. You're making yourself redundant. Mm-hmm. And if you take, if you think about, okay, how do I, how do I, give people that, that those skills and attributes to be able to do it? That is coaching. Now, I, I also have to say as a leader, when you get into that, it's really rewarding because actually when you help people do it their way, the amount of stuff I'm learning now is more than I've ever learned in any time in my career because I'm giving people the space to be creative. And I'm like, geez, the number of times I've gone, if only I'd done that <laughs> when I was repping, you know, it would have been, you know, a, another bedroom in my house, for example. Yeah. Think you have enough bedrooms, Tom?
0: Don't <laughs> yeah.
1: need I've, got, I've got four kids. We need them.
0: i was <laughs> just say, unless you want to tell us something. Yeah, um, I, I had a question. On if, if you want to just extend on the the environment thing a little bit, in, in in the context of formal versus informal, where should it take place ideally?
1: Yeah, I'm a I'm a fan of uh, of formal, uh, as nearly ninety five percent of it. The informal stuff is a five-minute conversation and never gives time for the uh, how should they do it. It, it you know it, it can only become a kind of a five-minute answer. Here's the problem. Well, that's the answer. Yeah. Um, so I'm I'm a huge fan of, of kind of breaking the week with my reps into three. So there is a there's a forecast meeting which is pretty formal. No coaching done in that. Um, then there'll be kind of the, the deal review meetings where we're getting into deals and not dealing with what's happened, the storytelling, but dealing with what's coming up mm-hmm. and, and, uh, and, and asking them questions about that, having them unpack it, having them go through the process with time and space to discover that uh, and to work it through on a deal basis. The third meeting, which is often missed out, is what I call a personal one-to-one. Uh, there's no laptop, there's no Salesforce, there's no deals that are discussed. We're now looking at, um, you know, uh, ultimately um, uh, a set of conversations that that go for long-term goals as well as short-term goals. So a long-term goal might be, um, you know, in three or four years time, I want to buy a house, I want to settle down, I want to have a family and I, I want to be living outside of London. Well, brilliant. That's great. And we're on a journey to help you do that. Let's let's break that down into, you know, chunks of time, years and then into quarters and what have you, and then help them break that down into what do they think they need to achieve uh, you know, on a monthly basis. And then break that down into, well, what, what what things do they need to do more often and what things do I need to do better? I always talk about frequencies and competencies. They're leading indicators. If I do these things more often or I achieve these KPIs and I do them better, then I'm more likely to have a positive outcome. Trust the process. Yeah. And a lot of that comes from sports science. You know, you have... Olympic athletes who will think, right, I want a gold medal in four years' time. I'm not gold medal standard today. And they break it down and ultimately come up with a plan that actually is on a daily basis. Here's the things I'm focusing on for the next seven days. Uh, And these are the things, and so on. And then that racks up into months. Those months rack up into seasons. Those seasons rack up into years. But don't think for a minute that that progression isn't deliberate signposted, and worked on collaboratively with their coach. Mm.
0: That process sounds to me also very much like how you describe how you do your mutual action plan. It's a project plan. It has a goal, it has yeah. milestones, uh, risks and assumptions,
1: mm. tasks, etc. Yeah. And you're just breaking it down. Uh, yeah, breaking it down. and then And then you kind of got the the ambiance of it there you uh, you know to be a good coach uh there needs to be a willingness on both sides to be honest and frank and uh you know not to sugarcoat everything all of the time and um you know i'd encourage people to take that very sensitively for a start you need to build that rapport that trust they need to know in those one-to-one sessions those the, the the real coaching sessions yeah. that stuff that happens in there doesn't bleed over into the deal management and to sort of the forecasting sessions. Oh, uh, you're forecasting this deal, but you told me in our one-to-one that you just have no, no, uh, no willingness or ability to ask for a close date. Now you're telling me the closed date's in December. What are you basing that on? You're effectively yeah. using that session to beat them up in another one. Uh, that's yeah. not yeah. cool. And that won't you create in a yeah. heartbeat with heart yeah
0: yeah and the way you're describing it then it sounds to me this this is not an event, it's a process, it's ongoing, and they're connected it's it's a journey
1: yeah, it's connected as a journey it's, and and the other the other dimension to that is i'm a I'm a big fan of creating coaching moments between peers We, we spoke about it before if you know somebody comes up with something that's great. In one of these okay. sessions, or they come to me and say, "Oh, you know, I had this particular situation, and we did this and this." And I go, "That's fantastic. How did that turn out? It turned out amazing. Well, we're now doing this and this. Okay, all right." Um, now, either log that in the moment and say, "Right, I'm gonna, I'm gonna take that package of magic and just keep it there in my back pocket." And if I have another rep who comes to me with a similar problem, Rather than creating this culture, uh, this coaching kind of dynamic where they always have to come to me. I said, do you know what? Uh, Another member of the team came up with that recently. Why why don't you go and speak to Rob? Uh, I think he's got some good stuff for you on that area. And then I'll ping Rob and I'll say, oh, Rob, you know, Jane's coming over to talk to you about this. Could you make sure you spend you know, probably half an hour kind of unpacking that? Uh, And by the way, if you want me to sit in on that session to give you some feedback on on your coaching at that person, I'm happy to. Or if you record the call and we can listen back to it later, then I can give you some feedback on your coaching style. And and, you know, that just creates one is uh, you're you're sharing the load of that coaching uh, as well as building those people up to be future leaders. Yeah, that's smart.
0: I'm curious listening to you. Does it ever get to a meta level where you're with a coach E, and you're saying to them, and have a think about how this conversation has gone and how that might apply to your conversations with prospects? Getting them to think about, so what you're doing is you're asking them a lot of questions. You're getting them to come up with the answers and getting them to reflect on how your conversation with them played out, what went on in it, what happened as a result, and how, how they might take that into their conversations with prospects.
1: Uh, I would first admit I'm not a finished article. I'm taking a mental note of that, and <laughs> we'll be having a play with it. <laughs> okay,
0: yeah. It just struck me when you were saying it, because I, I, cause I yeah. thought the, the kind of conversation you're having with them is exactly like the kind of conversations we want them to have with prospects. And if they have
1: the answers yeah, yet. If yeah. they've enjoyed the process and weren't yeah. frustrated by being asked questions and being made to think about it, and what have you, that's, yeah. uh, that should reinforce their willingness and ability to do the same with their prospects, which as you say, is a great discovery.
0: Yeah. And so in terms of frequency, kind of cadence, I know you, you mentioned the conversations. Does everybody get a conversation once a week?
1: No. So um, as it uh, it depends on kind of where you're at with that particular individual. So obviously, if they're early in their career or if they're a new starter, then yes, the frequency is going to be greater. Mm. And the reason it's greater is because you can affect more change and more pliable at that point as they start to develop. My more experienced reps, yeah, weekly forecast is typical for the really senior reps, uh, the enterprise reps weekly because... You know, deals take longer. There's no, there's not enough change from week to week, for it to have the meat, for it to feel productive for them. It just feels like admin. Yeah. Yeah. Um, the deal reviews, um, funnily enough, if uh, you'll know as a leader if you're doing them well, in that you're not setting them, they set them with you, mm-hmm. and so they happen uh, on demand from them. And so if your reps aren't coming to you to do deal reviews, you're not coaching them. You're telling them and they're getting no value out of it. Or you're picking holes in it and not helping them to discover their blind spots and ways forward. So good litmus test. If they're not booking deal sessions with you, you're not coaching well. That's what they're telling you. There's no value in this conversation. Um, The one-to-ones typically do bi-weekly. So once every other week okay
0: uh that's assuming you're hiring people who are coachable if you're not if they're not coachable they probably don't think they need it and they're not coming to you in the first place nothing to do with your competence but maybe your competence is a hiring manager it's a, it's a different issue i guess yeah um and and that's that speaks to people's self-awareness not everybody has a strong sense of self-awareness we all have blind spots. We don't see them. But people with self-awareness are aware that they have blind spots. They don't know what they are, but they're aware of it. And if they're coachable, they want help. Mm-hmm. And I'm curious to know if, in your experience, the kind of reps you come across who struggle with that self-awareness, how you deal with them differently? How do you get them to to, to see themselves as other people see them?
1: Uh, you, I... Uh... And there's two sides to that. One is I don't have a lot of experience of that. I just don't hire people who aren't coachable. <laughs> yeah. Period. Yeah. Uh, so I, you know, I pity people who are who go into, you know, if I if I'm a leader that goes into a business and I inherit a bunch of reps who are not coachable, um, you, you might want to think about cycling some of those through. But ultimately, uh, uh, again, if you're using, you know, coaching that S3 type approach uh, and you're asking them questions and teasing it out uh, and actually kind of doing it, I'm confused. Help me to understand, you know, all of the stuff, which is good discovery. um, Come to it eventually. uh, And you just need to help them develop and exercise that muscle. I can imagine it would be pretty rewarding as a leader if you took somebody who was really stuck in their ways and actually helped them to discover a new way that they saw had impact in their career, and I, I looking back, I did it. I did it with um, with one person in particular when I was in Oracle. This person was, you know, probably five years from retirement, perennially successful, uh, and uh, you know had had used their way for many many years, and and I saw that you know they were just basically working too hard. Uh, and, uh, and they've been perennially successful, but nearly, you know, uh, you know, wound themselves into the ground by, you know, just, just doing too many cycles on too many things have been too helpful to everybody and all unsundry without looking it through. And, um, uh, they were pretty money motivated, funny enough, five years from retirement. And, uh, all it took was just to, uh, have them whiteboard on a, you know, put up on a whiteboard what every deal was actually worth to them in commission and then to just analyze, well, what effort are you putting? Oh, wow. So you put the same effort into every deal, whether it's worth a thousand in commission or 20,000 into commission. Interesting. And then, and then just paused and they went, Do you know what I'm going to do? I'm totally going to change the way I'm working on these ones here because they're just not worth enough money to me. Tom, how can I start giving those opportunities to other people, and I just concentrate on these bigger ones? I said, "Well, uh, you know, why do you think they'd be interested in taking those other opportunities?" It's just that we go up on the you know, yeah. Yeah. Uh,
0: I, yeah. I love what you did also when you did that, and I think that might just pass by in a stream of consciousness for some people is the idea you said you didn't say how much is the deal worth. You said how yeah. much is it worth in commission? Yeah. Different question. Yeah. Because it's very personal that is. It's like forget about the, the top line revenue or bottom, whatever. It's how much yeah. is it worth to you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um what I wanted to ask you about it was oh, hang on a second I, I know I brought this down earlier. Uh, yeah, it was, it was ensuring accountability I, I, I wanted to talk about was, how do you do that? How do you make sure that they have ownership consistently of that? It's, yeah, they, they own the process, not you.
1: Yeah, so in all one-to-ones, uh, and you'll know the, uh, the, I forget what you call it, where you use letters to, um, to reflect um, things, but it's the recon model. Remember, yes. evaluate, consider opportunities, mm-hmm. next steps. Uh, so we document that, and so we remember what we discussed last time. Uh, we evaluate how we're doing on that, how we achieved the goals that we're looking for. Uh, and so on and so forth as we go through the recon model, if I'm if I'm doing it collectively, uh, I can't remember whether I shared this last time, but the four questions I always ask somebody when they've gone through a coaching or a training session is, uh, what did you find the most interesting? What was one thing new that you learned? Uh What is one thing that you're going to put into practice straight away? Um, what do you call, you know, bullshit on, or, you know, or you just don't agree with and you want to dig into further? And the iteration that I've had on that third question, what are you going to put into practice straight away? Is let's say you and I were sitting together. I said, you know, somebody would say to me, so Tom, what are you going to put into practice straight away? And, and I would say, well, I'm going to put a, B and C into practice straight away. Okay. Um, help Paul understand how that's going to be measured. How will you know if that's gone well? Well, because I would have done this, this and this. Paul, do you think you can measure Tom on that? Yeah, okay. Next week when we come back together, Paul, you're going to give me a school report on how Tom did on that. Then we go to the next person. So then, right, Paul, what are you going to put into practice? And and Michelle, uh, are you good with that? Okay, Michelle, you're going to report on what Paul did. Um, I'm super lazy. It basically removes the accountability from me uh, and having to chase people up and check on them. Because, Paul, you know that next week I'm going to ask you, how did Tom do? And you're not going to be able to blag it. And so you create accountability partners.
0: I love it. But you're creating a culture of accountability within them as well, as well as
1: taking a monkey off your own back. Yeah. Yeah. And by the way, if it works, two people now know. The one who did it and the one who was measuring it. Oh, that's interesting. That worked really well. Yeah. The, 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 there's also
0: two people who know if it didn't happen.
1: Uh, true. And uh, and also it stops me having to be the bad cop.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Not that
1: I mind being a bad cop, but constantly, you know, being the person who's, you yeah. know, chasing people up and have you done this? It always comes uh, better from up here. It does, because then if
0: you're constantly the bad cop, it's like Hyde Tom's here. Yeah, it's, yeah, yeah, I'm calling. yeah. And you don't want that either. Um, Talk to me, here's what I want, I guess, in terms of coaching, what have I not asked you about coaching that you feel is important that people should think about?
1: Oh, you've just S3'd me. <laughs> what do you think? Uh, what do I think is, um, as as a coach, you also have to have a plan. You, you need to be going, not enforcing on them, but have a sense... Uh, already thoughtfully about where you think their development is, there will be occasions when somebody comes to you and goes, Well, I'm not sure I need coaching on anything then you can at least fall back to that and say, Well, let's have a look at this area mm-hmm. yeah or um uh, or if you're really good, you know somebody else is really good in that area, and you'd say well, when you think of Paul, what areas do you think he's particularly strong in and you're not? And hopefully they say one of the areas that you've got on your sheet. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, so as a coach, have a plan. Um, yeah. I'm going to be aware of stuff that, that, that they don't have. Yeah, um, sure. You, As I say, you've got to be deliberate about it and you've got to track progress. Uh, so where possible, um, try and create objective criteria for measuring progress rather than subjective. I think you're doing great discovery now. Oh, really? Well, you know, what is great discovery? Great discovery is, you know, and I've talked about about this before is, um, you know, a a B grade rep stops doing discovery when they they can justify the list price. Uh, uh, an A-grade rep, sorry, a C-grade rep when they can justify the list price, a B-grade rep when the cu- they think the customer can justify the list price. An A-grade rep uh, stops when the customer doesn't care what the price is. Yeah. And an A-plus rep stops when the customer or doesn't care what the price is, but also can, uh, can explain that to other people within their own business. In other words, inspire that as well. They really hold the whiteboard pen and can draw it up. Yeah. Now, uh, that uh, when when you can when you can start to subjectively sorry objectively measure that, then that gives you a better foundation for giving somebody the confidence. To, okay, I, I know where I'm at on the journey. It's not an it's not an err uh, response. Oh, that's better, quicker. Easier. It's 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 very objective. That's what I would say. Okay. Cool.
0: What role does sales tech play in the coaching process for you?
1: Uh, well, one of the critical ones uh, is obviously the ability to record calls uh, and to review those. Um, uh, however, having said that, that's um, there is a trap on that as well. So. The the reason I the reason I say calling uh, recording calls is important is because I can't be on every call. And also, if I'm on a call, I'm actually trying to be present with the prospect. Mm -hmm. I'm not sitting there kind of, you know, looking over here, ignoring the prospect and just taking notes the whole time. That would be disrespectful. Right. Mm -hmm. So the ability to coach when you're present in the meeting uh, and to make the and to be thinking about the prospect and uh, and your seller is difficult. So by recording it, that gives you um, the place and space uh, to be thoughtful about that, right? Now, the challenge to trap is, you know, the average manager has what, seven reps typically. And in today's digital kind of selling environment, uh, now we don't have to travel to a customer. Instead of doing like a couple of meetings a day, uh, most of my sellers are doing seven to nine meetings a day. Well, seven times seven, that's 42 calls a day, times that by five, wow, we're Mm -hmm. suddenly at 210 calls a week. Well, I know you can listen to calls at two times speed, but that's a full-time job. I I can't listen to every call. Mm -hmm. And so what uh, the trap that people find themselves getting into is they start just listening to the bad calls, not the good ones. Uh, and so they then start to, you know, beat people up for all the things they could have, should have, would have done. Yeah. Yeah? yeah. So there is a with with great power comes great responsibility. Is that a Star Wars quote? I think it might be or something. Yeah. Or, or it might be Superman or Spider-Man, one or the other. Um, yeah. So as to is to what I would suggest in that environment is you ask your reps to bring you three calls a week. Uh, and they have to bring them to you, and ideally you want them to be good calls. Bring three calls you're proud of this week because then you can reinforce things they've done well uh, and coach to uh, to iterative improvement rather than shining a spotlight on when they know they screwed up. Mm. Yeah. yeah,
0: That also gives you an opportunity to stroke their ego, make them feel good about their accomplishments as well.
1: Yeah, well, uh, you know, uh, there's there's data out there that says that reps that listen back to their own calls Im- improve their performance by 9%. So it's not just me who should listen to the call back. Yeah. You know, it's a bit like, uh, I did it yesterday. I was, I was driving yesterday, unusual, uh, and I took a customer call. And when I got to the end of the customer call, uh, I couldn't actually remember any of my journey. Now, obviously, I'd driven safely. I hadn't had an accident. and obviously was able to drive, but a lot of my brain was on the prospect, so you know, if you asked me to talk to you about what was my journey like, how many traffic lights did I stop at, and you know, did I leave a good distance between cars and all the rest of it, I'm pretty sure I did, but I couldn't tell you whether I did or not. So when a rep listens back to their call, it's a bit like you know these cameras you now have in cars where it, like recording. It. It's like looking up and go, oh wow, oh I cut that corner. And oh, I nearly run that red light or I didn't see that pedestrian there. They they can coach themselves yeah. uh, to then be more thoughtful about their next call. And maybe make just one or two bullet points, post-it note on a screen that says, make sure to pause at the at the red light, you know, which is, you know, pause after a customer says something. Yeah, and then yeah. we here we also encourage reps to review each other's calls.
0: I love that. Uh, and yeah, because again, they're learning from each other as well as analyzing and learning from themselves. Uh, you mentioned something about listening to a call uh, on, on double speed. Can you get any sense, because I've never done that with a, on a coaching call. I've done it on YouTube videos and so on where you want to speed things up. But can you get a sense of nuance in terms of tonality when you do that? I've never tried it, so I, I honestly don't know
1: takes a bit of practice uh, and you don't listen to the whole call at double speed. Uh, What you do is you kind of, as it's going, you know, it's not quite that fast. And you go, oh, hang on a minute, rewind, play at one. Mm. Or if they've said to me that, you know, uh, you know, I'm just not sure I'm delivering with the conviction I want to, the customer engagement framework, something that's important here. I'll be on two times speed, and when I see that slide come up, or I I hear customer, then I then I'll slow it down and go. Okay, this is the bit that I want to listen to. Um, but you know, I, on a on a half hour call, I'm not looking to make twenty bullet points. There might be yeah. twenty things that I've seen, but a good yeah. coach knows um, knows one is that they'll have an area that they're looking at and want to you know develop that area. And then they'll build to the next area rather than just being, Oh, there's these 15, 20 things. Well, what do I do with that? Mm. You know? Yeah. Um, you know, Arnold Schwarzenegger, uh, there's a, there's a great film I used to watch a lot when I was at uni pumping iron, which was about when he won Mr. Universe for the third time. And there was, there was a point when he was stood in front of the mirror and he's doing all of his poses and he was looking at one of his deltoids and he's saying, and, and, and that's the bit that I want to work on. He needs to work on everything. He said, that's just slightly out of balance with everything else. And he spent three or four weeks working on that particular deltoid and then got it into balance with everything. And then you can guarantee, you know, a couple of months later, he probably saw something else that was slightly out of kilter. But it was, there's this kind of overall development. But as a coach, your skill is what's going to have on that kind of, you know, effort versus impact. What's what's the area that's going to have the most impact for this person at the moment? So, you know, the beginning of a fiscal year, would I spend a load of time coaching on closing and deal urgency? Probably not. Uh, I've been more inclined to spend time on discovery and value creation. Because, you know, as we go through the year, that's going to pay more dividends as we get, you know, Q3, Q4, then, you know, Value and discovery is kind of will come on to that as the seasons of coaching as well. Yeah, that makes sense. That makes perfect sense. When you talked about sales
0: tech and recording it and the importance of that, I was wondering if, because I know you're a user of Gong, uh, that type of technology
1: where you can embed any-
0: lessons. Okay. <laughs> we,
1: we've, got a, we've got our own product, which, is, which is, uh, takes a different approach.
0: Yeah. Okay. Uh, I might edit that out (laughs) (laughs) because
1: you can leave in. Uh, Look, I'm a super fan of Gong uh, and and all of the stuff that it does from like coaching, deal analysis, and everything. You're absolutely right, but but the the trap that you can get caught into as a manager is I'm now recording every call and I'm then feeling like I need to listen to every call and be in them all. The 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 approach we took here at Outreach on a thirty second advert is that. You know, I'm sick and tired of the, you know, uh, listening to them and thinking you could have said this, you should have said that. If only you would have said this Um, and and dealing with that in the moment. And so the outreach approach is real time transcription. And based on listening to the call, it actually has the AI and intelligence to screen pop content cards that might be questions you should ask based on that. Uh, here's how you handle that objection. They mentioned this other product. This is how we work with it. And to give the salesperson really the years of experience that I may have gathered in uh, by being on hundreds or thousands of calls, Outreach Kaya is is kind of like the VP being on the call in the moment. And so it removes that, that kind of retrospective look on it. Yeah.
0: Final question on this. What's your take on the role that psychometric assessments play in the coaching process?
1: Uh, I love them, <laughs> apart from anything else. So, yeah, whether it's DISC or, or any other uh, method, is um, you know, understanding who you are uh, is pretty critical in, in being that social chameleon to turn up on a call. Um, we've, I know we've spoken about a, a technology called Crystal Nose before, uh, which does a disc profile of the prospect and compares it to you, and helps you to prepare to turn up in a way where you are increasing the potential for good rapport, so you don't have a personality clash. You now, whilst I, I don't believe that people buy off people they like, I do believe that they don't buy off people they don't like. Um, yeah. which is a slight nuance on that. And, and one of the ways of protecting against that is understanding how you turn up. And, uh, you know, I have some reps who are quite submissive in nature and can get pushed around. And so we coach around that. Uh, we have others which just love getting into detail and in the conversation and consulting uh, and would sell nothing other than their time and expertise if they weren't aware of that. And then I have others who, uh, you know, are very clever, very directive and will tell the customer exactly what they need to do after listening to them for 10 minutes. And so, you know, they need to understand that uh, and to uh, and to be aware of it. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Excellent. Talk. Tom, I, I, I know I said that was the final question, but I did have one more, and, and, and we need to talk about the elephant in the room here. And you, I was close to it when you mentioned pumping iron, and I had this vision of a 70s movie star in it. <laughs> <laughs> and I think anybody who's watching this will also know what I'm talking about when I say a 70s movie star. Yeah. Talk, talk, talk to me about because I've noticed you doing this a couple of times during the conversation. It's like this is going to go down like some groucho this because it, it itches what, what... like
1: hell. That's why. <laughs>
0: yeah, and it, it also places the recording of this video firmly in November. I, I'm guessing. I'm guessing it's a Movember. Please tell me it's a Movember. It, it
1: is a Movember thing. Yes, I haven't grown yeah. this by accident. Yes. So um yeah, I mean, raising uh, money and awareness for you know, prostate cancer, male cancer, and also for mental health. You have Um, a
0: particular link on that, by the way.
1: Um, I can share it with you, share it with you afterwards. We're kind of, we do, and I'll make
0: sure I I put it into on LinkedIn with any of the snippets and in the podcast show notes as well, that people, you know, got value from your time and expertise today. What they should do right now is go and make a donation to a really, really worthy cause. And the fact that you've been willing to come here and humiliate yourself—yeah, <laughs> thanks—deserves reward in itself.
1: Yeah, we're actually we're pushing about it. We're doing uh, uh, Annie, uh, one of our um, A's here. Uh, she can't grow a moustache, funnily enough, and uh, so she came up with the idea of doing a midnight walk. So we're actually on the third of December. Hopefully, it's not too cold. Uh, walking a marathon around London from uh, midnight through uh, for the same charities. Uh, and, and the one in particular is um, is a charity that trains barbers uh, to help identify mental health uh, challenges in men. So, you know, suicide rates in men is way higher than it is in women. And yet men don't go and find support. and They don't ask for help. Uh, but they all get a haircut and they talk to their barbers and this charity trains barbers to be able to identify signals and to know what kind of questions to ask and how possibly to inspire somebody to go and look for, for help uh, in an effort to reduce male suicide. So, uh, yeah, uh, just uh, one is uh, I cycle a long way. I can't walk very fast, so it's going to be hard work. But yeah, we've got about forty members of the team doing that on the third of December, yeah, and it's the same it link. Stressful. Yeah, and, thank and you. We'll
0: do what we can in promoting this as well. To and this is an ongoing. This is not just November. So if you're listening to this in December, the link will still be open. It will be. Yes, thank you, Paul. Yeah. Not at all. No, thank you, Tom. It's as insightful as always. Thoroughly enjoyed it. Thank you so much for sharing your insights with us today.
1: Pleasure. All right, take care.